Father, I pray once again that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are often moments, there are experiences in life that have a way of defining us. They have a way of revealing what's in us. It might be that uh, a crisis at work, it might be the birth of a child, it might be an encounter with a neighbor, it might be some moral dilemma. But there are those moments where we, we sort of get a glimpse into ourselves and we're sort of opened up and we see ourselves based on how we respond to these things that come to us. And it's often not so much about the moment or the experience, but how we respond to it. That reveals what's going on inside of us. And I'm not sure there's any more, more experience, any more revealing moment of, of life, particularly for those who make claims to follow Jesus, than the cross. There's something about the cross that, that sort of gets inside of us. There's something about the cross that reveals what we're about, our priorities, our passions, our desires, what we are, what we are going to be, what we want to be. That as we come face to face with the cross and the reality of what the cross means, we get a revelation of who we are based on how we respond to it. And I think there's something of that that Paul is describing here in Philippians 3. The, the, people, the church of Philippi is dear to Paul. You get that as you read this letter. It, it started in, in uh, an intense uh, struggle as they, are, they find people coming to faith and then there is the incident uh, of Paul and Silas in prison and, and singing at them. The earthquake and the gates open and nobody leaves and then there's a jailer's family become Christians and, and then they're basically driven out of the city, asked to leave. But Paul loves these people. And the problem is something has arisen. Uh, people have come into the church of Philippi and are turning them away from the truth that Paul has taught them. And there's divisions in their church, and there are problems that arise. And so Paul writes this letter. And when we come to, to chapter 3, Paul begins, the beginning of chapter verse 2, he is, he's pretty harsh. And he says to them, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. No one knows exactly who this group of people are that is promoting the, the problems that Paul is addressing. Some say that they are Jews who are outside of the church but have come in and they're trying to influence them. Others say they're Christians who are Jews. And they're trying to say in order to be a first-class Christian, you have to follow all the Jewish laws. Others say it's Gentile Christians who have become enamored with the Jewish laws and say, you know what, I've realized that we're second-class Christians unless we begin doing these things. Whoever the group is, Paul makes it clear that what they're trying to do is to say, 
if you really want to be a first-class Christian, then it's all about these rules. It's all about following these laws. And, and what they're doing is pushing them away from the cross to these other things. And that's why Paul says in verse 18 that these people are enemies of the cross. There's always people, there's always been people, there always probably will be people who want to make the gospel more than what Jesus and writers of scripture tell us it is. There are people who say it's, it's not just more demanding, but it's that demands are different than what Jesus and scripture tells us it is. Because the gospel is demanding. Anybody who tells you the gospel's not demanding hasn't read the gospel. I mean, the heart of it is Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. I'd call that demanding. You read through all the teachings of Jesus. You read through the letters. You read through the Old Testament. They're continually, the, the following God is demanding. The problem is, what these guys, these people who have come to Philippi are saying is, well, it's not a demand of trust, it's not a demand of faith, it's not a demand of, of, of being engaged and surrendering your life to God, it's the demands of following these rules and regulations. There's always a temptation to that. Because it's a lot easier to, to judge yourself by checking off boxes than it is to ask yourself, am I surrendered to Christ? Am I trusting Christ? Am I following Christ? Is my life about Christ? It's so easy to get caught up in these things. And what ends up happening is when we, the, the, one of the reasons why these things, again, are are conducive to our thinking and are so tempting to us is because, honestly, in the end, these things are really a life that's self-focused as opposed to a life that's God-focused, Christ-focused. I mean, Paul says these people are bragging about all their great spiritual pedigree. They're bragging about all of their great spiritual accomplishments. And he says earlier on in this chapter that we didn't read, he says... Well, if you want to talk about that, let me tell you about myself. And he goes through this whole litany of his spiritual pedigree and of his spiritual accomplishments. And he, in essence, says, I dare any of these people to, to compare their lives to mine. But he says, that's not the point. Because if that were the point, fine, I could brag about that till the end of my life. But he goes on to say, that stuff to me is useless. It's worthless. It's trash. It's garbage. Because it's all about Jesus. Now, does it matter that, or is Paul grateful for his spiritual pedigree? Yes, he is. And if we have that, we should be too. Are we, are we grateful for the accomplishments we might have made? Yes, that's wonderful. But when those things become the focus, when those things become the passion of our lives instead of the cross, then we are in dangerous ground. Because it, all, it becomes about me instead of about Christ. 
It's the thinking of a baby. You know, if you're around a baby, it's not hard. It's not hard to understand real quickly. The babies are about the moment. And babies are about themselves. Themselves in the moment. Right? I mean, all that matters is I'm wet. All that matters is I'm hungry. All that matters is I'm tired. They have no concept of anything that's gone on in the past or anything that's going, going to happen in the future. They have no concept of anything going on in the world. They have no concept of anything. Everything about life is me. And that's what babies do, and we understand that. And, and we, we all, if you have a baby, your whole life is adjusted around their cry, me, me, me. But man, as you get, the child gets older, we're trying to help them understand that that's, you have to, you outgrow that. I mean, you know, it, it's one thing to be childlike. It's another thing to be childish. And Paul is saying, if you have this kind of perspective, you're, you're living like a baby. Everything's about you. Everything's about me. It's all about me, me, me. And the gospel can't be that. It is not that. No wonder he calls them enemies of the cross. And there is in that mindset that says, you know what, it, it's, it's all about the things I've done. It's all about the things that, that you know, my, my pedigree. And I don't really need the cross. I've arrived. I've made it. You know, one of the, the great temptations of, of movements of the church, particularly related to when the conversation is about talking about holiness, is that there is this temptation to say that holiness is, I've arrived. Holiness is saying, I have, I've come so far, I've accomplished so much that I don't really need the grace of God anymore. And if I don't need the grace of God, I certainly don't need the cross. I've made it. I've arrived. And Paul is saying, that's not what we're talking about. That's not the gospel. In fact, that's not holiness. As I've said to you before, the most holy people I know are not the ones who say, I have progressed so far that I really don't need grace and the cross anymore. The most holy people I know who have said, God has done such a great work in my life that all I want to do is cling to the cross and to the grace of God. That's my life. And because that's where the holiness comes from. That's where the righteousness comes from. That's where the bearing the image of Christ comes from. Not from our accomplishments, but from trusting in his. And Paul says, I've not yet arrived. I've made a lot of progress I've come a long way, which, which is right, and that we, hopefully we can look back and say the same thing. But he says, I've not arrived. I'm continually learning. I'm continually growing, which means I continually need to cling to the cross. But it's a temptation to us. Living our lives self-focused is always a temptation to us. And there are people all around us who want to tell us, who want to, want to use that temptation to distract us. And the evil ones are continually trying to move us away from being Christ-focused. 
And that's why Paul begins this section by saying, watch out. That word watch out, it really means to see. It's the same, the root of that word is the same word that's used to describe someone who is blind that Jesus heals. Their physical eyes that couldn't see, now can. They see. But it's all, we also use, it's also used in Scripture, and we use it in a more figurative sense of pay attention. Look out. Talk about keep your eyes peeled. And Paul is saying to them, you need to be aware of the fact what these people are doing to you and that the evil one is continually trying to tempt you into making self the center of your life instead of the cross, the grace of God. Andy Crouch says that the early Christians had this, made this, often made this comparison between the first Adam and the second Adam. And the first Adam, particularly the first Adam in the Garden of Eden and the second Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they talked about how the, the, the heart of the first Adam and the sort of the mantra that became the first Adam was, I'm going to do what I want. Whereas the heart of the second Adam was, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And it's, it's watching. And it's not a coincidence that Jesus prays, says to his disciples in the garden, watch. Pay attention. Look. We, we tend to see what we're looking for. You know, if you're not looking for something, there's a good chance you're not going to see it. But when things get on our radar, then we see them all over I, I, I'm not much of a, a car buff. I don't know a lot about cars. You know, I have friends who can, you know, they look at a car, they can tell you what year it was made and the model and maybe the VIN number on it. I don't know, but they, they seem to know a lot about cars. That's not me. And I remember years ago, uh, Cindy's parents bought a car, a Chevrolet Forenza. I'd never heard of a Forenza before. I'm like, I have never seen a Forenza in my life until after they bought it. And I'm seeing Forenzas everywhere. You, you had probably had that experience with things. You, somebody says to you, you know, don't, I don't want you to pay any attention to blue cars. All you can see are blue cars. It's what we are looking for we tend to see. And so Paul says, watch out. Keep your eyes open. But then he also says, so let me tell you what you should be watching for. And he says this strange thing in verse 17. He says, imitate me. Wow. I've always thought that was a strange thing for Paul to say. I mean, who is Paul to say, imitate me? Imitate Jesus? Of course, yeah. But imitate me. But I think what Paul is saying, is, it's, not, it's not some kind of arrogant statement Paul's making. I think he's saying, imitate me instead of imitating them. Because he knows, and we all know, so much of who we are is based on people who've been around us in our lives. We watch people. We imitate people. That's why celebrity status is so important. That's why people, they, you know, advertisers sell us things and use celebrities to do that. People that we respect. People that, you know, we want to dress like them and we want to look like them and we want to do all these things. Because we are always, 
we are, we are always getting caught up in imitating people. And Paul says, well, I know you're going to imitate someone, so imitate me instead of imitating them. So much of life is about imi- who we imitate. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, our, our drama music department decided our musical that year was going to be Camelot. So I tried out for the musical. And I, you have to understand, I was a, a very, I don't think I was even five feet tall when I started high school. And uh, I was scrawny and little and, you know, the whole thing. And so I'm going thinking, I'll, hopefully I'll get in the chorus. And in the middle of, you know, they're doing tryouts, having people read. They, asked, they said to me, Wes, we want you to read this part. And I'm like, no one could have been more shocked than me. Maybe my older sister. But, you know, but... But they, I got up, I read this part, and when they posted the parts, I got one, I got the, one of the roles. I, got, I played the role of Tom of Warwick, which if you know Camelot, is primarily in the, the last scene. And it's the, it's the, the little boy, the boy that, that uh, King Arthur meets and sends him off to keep Camelot going. And, and I realized when I saw the part that the point was... They needed someone that looked like a 10-year-old boy. And I looked as much more like that than anybody else who tried out. It was not because of my great acting ability. Anybody who saw it would recognize that. You know, but the great thing about it was, because I had one of these roles, I got to hang out with the seniors and the people, upperclassmen who had all the big roles. And we'd have these special rehearsals for people that had speaking parts. And I'd get to go to these rehearsals and hang out with them. And, and I realized after a while that, you know, these people, I mean, some of the guys were football players and, you know, all these things, that I realized that I was starting to imitate them. You know, I wanted to walk like them and talk like them. Fortunately, I didn't act like most of them. But, you know, it, it just, all of a sudden it happens. You don't even realize it's going on. But you just sort of get caught up in it. And Paul is saying, we're going to get caught up in something, so imitate me. But here's the thing. Paul is not saying, look at me and how great I am. He's saying, look at me while I tell you how great Jesus is. He's not saying, hey, look at me and pointing to himself. He's saying, look at me while I point to the cross. These people, they're pointing you away from the cross. I'm trying to point you to the cross. And the interesting thing to me is not only do we imitate people, but whether we like it or not, people imitate us. And the question that's continually in front of us is, to whom are we pointing people who might imitate us? What kind of mindset do we have? And that's why clinging to the cross is so important. And we sometimes think of the cross as some, some historic event we look back to, and that is true. But it is a part of all of life, and it's about the future as well, which is why Paul says, not only do we, do we look to the cross, and not only do we embrace the cross, but in embracing the cross, we also are embracing God's future. He says we eagerly await Christ's return. These two things cannot be separated 
The people who are not eagerly awaiting Christ's return are the people who are not embracing the cross. Because you, if, if you embrace the cross, then all you want is for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. You want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You want the cross to be the way of life. And that means living with an eternal perspective kind of life instead of an earthly perspective kind of life. It doesn't mean we are abandoning this world. We're not, we're not living to escape from this world. We are simply living in this world with a mindset of the reality of God's eternal kingdom. It's only in that mindset that the cross could be the way of life. It's only in that mindset that things like blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek and blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. None of those things could possibly make sense unless you live with an eternal perspective of life. They're crazy without that. If you don't have an eternal perspective of life, then the only way to live is to grasp and grab and hoard and clutch and live for self. And that's what the cross reveals in us. The cross kind of opens us up and helps us to see where our passion is, where our perspective is. Is it the eternal realities of God that are come true in the cross? Or is it just self? Every one of us, every one of us is going to come face to face to the cross. And the day is coming, the judgment day is coming, when all will be revealed, the cross and us. How are we living? What's our passion as we live now in preparation for that day then? Holy Father, thank you for the cross. Help us to see the passions in our hearts. Encourage us. Maybe convict us. But draw us in your grace. We ask this through Christ. Amen.